Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, everyone. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and Jerry is with us as we journey into the heart of the magnetic darkness known as an MRI machine. (laughs) The Wonder Machine. After all these years of talking about this thing, I finally get it. I know it. It's crazy. We've been kind of amazed by it and then a little bit turned off by it. But then we realized, well, it's not the machine itself. It's the way it's being applied. And so we kind of came back to it again and it nuzzled us in its bore and it got kind of sexy. Yeah. And we're also guilty of uh, the fMRI crime that now I kind of feel bad about. What is that? Is that a Queensryche album? (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll just talk about that later when it's appropriate. What, the Queensryche album? No, the fMRI blunder that we've been making for 13 years. Sure. I feel like, okay, all right, we'll go over that. Fine, fine, fine. I don't want to mess anything up. Instead, we're going to mostly talk about the MRI, the Wonder Machine, as it is. Because, Chuck, we were always just amazed by it to begin with. But now that I understand it, I feel even more amazed by it. I'm, I'm proud of humanity for having come up with this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing that, and we'll talk about the history of it and everything in a sec, but it's amazing that human beings uh, got together uh, with their cohorts mm-hmm. and said, you know what we can do? The human body is made up of 60 to 65% water, so let's figure out how to use magnetic fields and radio waves to measure that water uh, in the tissues of our body, and then we can map it, and then we can image it. Right. And so those initial people who said that were burned at the stake because it was like the 16th century still. But when a few more hundred years passed, a few new people came onto the scene and they encountered a completely different environment. Um, One that was kind of nurturing of science and advancement and the idea that you could see inside the human body without cutting it open. And the person um, who won what actually kind of interestingly turned out to be a race among researchers who were um, all trying to solve the same problem at the same time independently was a guy named Dr. Raymond Damadian, or Damadian. Um, And he is credited as the first person to invent the the fully functional human-sized MRI. But he's one of typically at least three people who are credited with with inventing the MRI, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, when he... Uh, got in there in July of 1977, 
nothing really happened. And I think one of his colleagues said, hey, maybe you're too big for this thing. They -hmm. put in a smaller person, and it worked for the first time. It took about five hours to get an image. Uh, They named the thing Indomitable. And if you Mm -hmm. look up pictures, it's in the Smithsonian now of Indomitable. It, you know, it's it's one of these things that looks like a bare bones version of what it ended up looking like. It's like the the MRI version of a wicker wheelchair, I'll bet. Sort of. Did you you didn't see a picture? No, because I suspected as much. I didn't want it to haunt my dreams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks sort of like this big donut. I think the difference in this one is that it shows, and it may. I'm not sure if it's Doctor Damadian in the photo or not, but they're actually wearing uh, some coils around their body. Um, but there is a larger donut as well. <laughs> Do they look like they're on craft work tour? Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so there were two other people. Damadian was the first one. I'm, I'm glad that we settled on a pronunciation, by the way. Um, and he was the first one to cross the finish line, but there were other, two others who were working on that same problem. Uh, Paul Lauterbur and uh, Sir Peter Mansfield. Uh-huh. And... Like I was saying, they were all working independently on this problem, this thing that had been demonstrated in 1945 called nuclear magnetic resonance, yeah. which which is that you can make atoms do really peculiar things when you put them in the presence of um, a magnetic field. If it's strong enough, it kind of snaps them all into attention. Uh, they click their heels and they say, yes, sir, I'll get that pate for you immediately. And um, that's not how they normally behave. And so these guys, Damadian, Lauterbur, and Mansfield, all were like, somehow, some way, there's a way to use this to Im- to use this nuclear magnetic resonance to look inside of the body. And that's what they set about trying to do. Yeah, and pretty early on, they cut the word uh, nuclear out of it and went <laughs> with imaging. So MRI was born. I think this wasn't probably a great time. And maybe it's never a great time to throw the word nuclear into anything. Uh, you know, every, everything from nuclear power to nuclear bombs have a bad rap, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, it gets even worse if you pronounce it nuclear. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> and then there was someone else we do need to shout out, a physicist by the name of uh, Seji Ogawa, or Ogawa. How would you pronounce that? Ogawa, and it's Seji E. Any vowel you see in Japan just screams to be pronounced independently. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They love so, it. So, C- CGE? Seiji. That's what I would go with. <laughs> okay. I'm serious. I really think it no, is. No, I believe you. It just sounded funny. Um, and so, what happened, uh, so why we're shouting this person out is because they discovered that if you have oxygen-poor hemoglobin, it's going to react differently by this magnetic field that's created in the MRI machine than really good oxygen-rich hemoglobin, and that that contrast, you could basically eventually end up seeing uh, blood flow, like imaging blood flow. Yeah, because what Damadian and his cohort were doing were imaging tissues inside of the body. Um, Ogawa said, well, actually, you can track the flow of blood in, in those tissues as well. It, it laid the groundwork for what became fMRI, functional MRI, and then also, more importantly, magnetic resonance angiography, which is basically tracking blood flow in blood vessels in real time, basically. Yeah, and all this stuff was revolutionary because, A, um, you really nailed it on the head earlier, like, you don't have to cut people open anymore to see this stuff. Um, We've had x-rays for a long time, and they're great if you want to look at certain things like your, your bones and 
uh, see if you got a cracked rib or something. But when mm-hmm. it comes to soft tissue, x-rays were useless. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about CT, can, uh, CT scans and why they're awesome in their own way, but not still not as, uh, I guess, functional as an MRI. Well, plus CT scans, I didn't realize this. CT's computed tomography, they use x-rays as well. So you're still getting that dose of radiation from a CT scan too. All right. So all that is just to lead up to say that the MRI just uh, beats them all. Those other machines stink. It truly earns its nickname, <laughs> the Wonder Machine. Um, boy, I feel like, like we should take a break before diving into this thing, should we? I'm thinking, hold on. Yeah, I think this is a good spot for a break. Okay, let's do it. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, so we're back and uh, a bit of an early break, but that's because we're about to get in the weeds with the actual nuts and bolts uh, ironically, probably doesn't have any nuts and bolts. <laughs> oh, no, that's a good point. <laughs> it's probably, probably what it, heavy duty plastic rivets. Yeah, I don't know. It, it might just be like large, solid injection molded pieces. That's a good question. We should have learned that. Yeah. But anyway, the metaphorical nuts and bolts of this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever seen one, they look like a big donut. Uh, you sit on a a little, you know, it looks like a, a, a mortuary tray. Yeah. And you get slid in through this hole in this tube that's only about 24 inches in diameter. Mm -hmm. So they're not great if you are claustrophobic, but they do make machines that aren't quite – they don't give you quite what you want with a closed system, but they're a little more opened up. Yeah, and I got the impression that they're starting to really kind of revisit those because you can't produce quite as as great a magnetic field or as powerful a magnetic field with an open system. But I think they're starting to figure out you don't necessarily need the most powerful magnetic field. So 
Stay okay. tuned for that in 10 years. But um, right. <laughs> the, the, the most important part of the whole MRI machine, obviously, is the magnet. That's what produces the magic, is this magnetic field that, so that donut, that elongated donut that you're slid into in the tube, that is the magnet, basically. And it's not like a magnet like you'd put on your fridge. It would suck your fridge into what amounts to a black hole, basically, if you got your fridge anywhere near this thing. It's a different yeah. kind of magnet. It's a superconducting magnet made up of coils, probably copper coils, that an electrical uh, current is run through. And when you run an electrical current through uh, a, a coiled um, set of metal, you can produce a magnetic field. And that's great, like fantastic. But to produce the kinds of like the powerful magnetic fields that they're producing in an MRI, you actually need a superconducting magnet. And that's just a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, if you want to create a very large and stable field, and we're talking, I think they measure... Uh, magnets in, uh, is it ga or gauze? I think gauss? G -A -U -S -S. So mm -hmm. gauss. G-A-U-S-S. So gauss is the measurement. Uh, one Tesla is 10,000 gauss. So yeah. if you're looking at a just a regular fly-by-night MRI wonder machine, you're looking <laughs> at about 1.5, roughly 1.5 Tesla, or about 15,000 gauss uh, as far as the magnetic field goes. And that's... Um, compared to 0.5 for the magnetic field of planet Earth. And yeah, not 0.5 Tesla, 0.5 Gauss yeah. compared to 15,000 Gauss. It's like fifty to 60,000 times more for your average machine, but they even make them that go all the way up to 10 Tesla. Yeah, which is, what, 100,000 Gauss? Yeah, and the more Gauss, the more uh, the prettier machine is. Well, just kidding, the prettier pictures are. Yeah, another thing that I saw, though, is that they're figuring out that when you get past a certain Tesla of magnetic field— Doesn't matter. You, it does matter in that it actually gets worse oh. because you're picking up so much detail that you can't tell a bit from a bob, basically. Huh. And if you're a radiologist using terms like bits and bobs, you need to get out of the field and yeah. make room for somebody who takes <laughs> the job a little more seriously. That's interesting. I wonder if that also goes hand-in-hand hand with— the open machines and them saying, like, we don't need as much goss as we thought we did. I, th I think it does. I think they're figuring out ways to get better resolution off lower power because not only is it really expensive, I think it's a, a new machine costs about a million dollars per Tesla it produces. So if you got a 10, 10 Tesla machine, which really at this point, from what I understand, you're just showing off as a medical center. Yeah. Um, you, you just spent $10 million on this one MRI machine in, in your medical center. Um, but that also, it costs a lot of money to run one of these things yeah. because to keep this stable magnetic field going, you got to run a lot of electricity through it. And that's where the superconductivity comes in. Yeah. I mean, you want to, res I mean, you got to have like zero res resistance running through those wires. Mm -hmm. And they do this. And I remember we talked about this in our, uh, are we running out of helium? I can't remember what it was called, but we did an episode on the fact that helium um, was in short supply. And right. one of the downsides of this, it wasn't just birthday balloons, was the fact that they use helium, liquid helium, to uh, to make these copper coils superconductive. And I think at the order of about 452 degrees below zero. So without that helium, they they 
I don't know if they're looking at alternatives or if there's a plan B or not, but they need helium. Well, remember in our Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade episode, I don't know if it made it in there or not, but they they found like a, a helium supply that basically like— And Macy's bought it. <laughs> <laughs> that basically like expanded our supply of helium by some infinite amount. So we're like flush with helium. That's again. true. I remember that. So so I think we're okay. So okay. we can just—the can was kicked down the road, Chuck. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah, exactly. We don't need to plan for the future. Like Y2K, right? That's exactly right. Nice, nice call out. Uh, all right, so you've got your big magnet. Um, you you also have uh, gradient magnets. You have three gradient magnets, and those are not nearly as uh, on the magnitude of the the big daddy. Uh, these are about one eighty to two seventy gauss, and mm. your main magnet is what's creating that main magnetic field that we're going to go over in detail in a second. Uh, the real stable one, but the other magnets create the variable field, which you know, that's what you need to run it um, against the other one to make those images happen. Yeah, that's the, that's basically what you use, like, to direct the the um, beam, essentially, as it were. Like, if you need a beam, shoulder looked at, it would be in a different location than your knee. Yeah, yeah. And you would say, well, actually, I need it a little to the left. And you would use these gradient magnets to move the magnetic field. And what you're really moving, from what I understand, with the gradient magnets is a radio frequency pulse. Yes. And this is this is where things this is where it all comes together. Yes. You're you're using three different things, right? You've got the magnet. And when you when you put um hydrogen, when you put a body, well, we're not quite there yet. I'll I'll we'll get <laughs> oh, there. Oh no. Oh, you want me to do it now? Well, I mean, it certainly was anticipation on my part. Okay, all right. I won't let you down, Chuck. So uh, when you go into the MRI bore and you enter this magnetic field— That's the tube. I don't think we'd mentioned that. True. Yes. Um, when you go in the tube and you enter the magnetic field, the atoms in your body um, have what's called a magnetic moment— which means that they respond to very strong ma- magnetic fields by abandoning their kind of random spin along their axis, their precession, and snapping in line along the uh, polar ends of the magnetic field. And in the MRI, that, that's running lengthwise down the middle. So if you're laying on your back in an MRI tube, the magnetic field is going from your feet to your head, and that magnetic field causes the atoms in your body or the the particles in your body that make up atoms to snap into line with that polarity. So all of a sudden you have protons, in this case, as far as the MRI is concerned, hydrogen protons um, suddenly going from random spins to all facing your feet or all spinning toward your head, one or the other, but te- technically along the same line. Yeah, so some of those are, in, I think in the, the biz, they call it aligning parallel or anti-parallel, and they sort of cancel each other out, but there's always going to be more parallel-aligned hydrogen atoms, and those are the ones that uh, we're using to measure the MRI, basically. Like, everything else just sort of cancels each other out, and those leftover ones, and it sounds, you know, there's, there's so many that you can have the cancellation of many, and it still works. So I only saw this in the House of Works article. I, everywhere else I saw basically made no mention of the fact that, like, whether they were aligned toward your feet or toward your head, 
like that that mattered and that you were focusing on the ones that hadn't aligned. Like I only saw it in this article. Oh, I what saw it I in saw other was, places. Oh, you did? Okay. So then Kid Science what articles. Is, what is what they were all based off this House of Works article? No, no. You could tell they were well, original. What is I was just teasing. I, you know I love Kid Science websites, Chuck. I can't remember what which is, one this one was, but it was a good one. Um okay, so regardless of what which atoms you're focusing on, either the ones that are polarized from along the magnetic field or the ones that haven't been polarized, that's that polarity is being created by the main magnet, the superconducting magnet that has basically zero resistance because it's bathed in liquid helium and cooled to just astounding temperatures. Right. Right? Now, when you bring in the radio frequency pulse, which is oscillating, it's turning on and off very, very quickly. What, what was discovered over the last century or so, before MRIs were ever even developed, but what forms the basis of the principle that MRIs operate on, is that if you apply a radio frequency to a bunch of, um, of hydrogen protons undergoing their magnetic moment, you can actually adjust the way that they're aligned. You're kind of like pushing or pulling them out of alignment. And they're kind of struggling against it, but you can you can overcome that with the radio frequency pulse. And so that's basically step one of the MRI is getting them knocked out of that polarity so that you can turn that off and, and basically gauge and measure them as they snap back into that polarity. Yeah, and that uh, radio frequency pulse, it has to be the same frequency of those spinning protons. So if not, they're not going to be in resonance. That's where the word resonance comes from. Uh, if they have mm -hmm. that same frequency, they can exchange inner energy with one another, and they're on resonance with one another. And when they turn it on and off, like you said, there's a moment where they snap back into snap back to attention, essentially, and it takes mm -hmm. a little bit of time and a little bit of energy, mm -hmm. and that energy is what they're basically trying to measure, like that yeah. that movement. Yeah, and. Because the protons, the hydrogen protons, the reason they selected hydrogen protons is because it's so abundant throughout the body. Uh, it's far and away the most abundant atom in the body is hydrogen. Um, that, that you're going to find it in every bit, every, every nook and cranny of your body. That's another term radiologists should stay away from, but we can use it. The nooks and crannies of your body all are filled with hydrogen protons. So... Um, they know that a hydrogen proton in, like, fat tissue is going to snap back into place and then release energy at a slightly different frequency and at a slightly different rate than the hydrogen protons making up water in the body or bone in the body or, you know, your hair on your shoulders or whatever. All, all of this stuff is going to just be just slightly different. And they basically know what the data that comes back, what it's telling them is, oh, hey, I'm a, I'm a fat, I'm in a bunch of fat over here. I'm in some water over here. I'm shoulder hair over here. And this is the data that gets transmitted to the computer that's measured by the computer that's running the MRI. Yeah, and that energy burst that it emits, it's uh, at a very specific frequency named the Larmor frequency after an Irish physicist named Sir Joseph Larmor. He discovered this all the way back in 1897, and 
you will never need to know this information, but just in case you want to know, the Larmor frequency <laughs> uh, for hydrogen in this case is 42.58 megahertz per Tesla of magnetic force. That's a, I don't even know if that's like a no. cocktail. That That's not even bit. a Jeopardy that's question. Something, that's a dark little pet you keep in your pocket that you pull out and like stroke every once in a while. Just reassure yourself that you're very smart. Yeah, like LeVar Burton, should be LeVar Burton, would ask that question on Jeopardy and Ken Jennings would say, you got to be kidding me. Nobody cares. <laughs> so you're you're pulling for LeVar? He's not going to make it. I mean, the other guy, the somehow the executive producer of the show is n- sort of naming himself. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he said that he didn't make the call, but uh, I don't know, man. He, I thought LeVar Burton was great and would be great for that show. I, I'm part of Team George Stephanopoulos. Oh, did he uh, guess? <laughs> yeah. Or Aaron Rodgers. He did a good job. I didn't see that one. But he's still got more football to play. I'm with you, though. I think LeVar Burton would be wonderful. And from what I read, he really wants it, too. So He did a great—I just don't get it. And a lot of people are mad already, so I'm not alone. So so the, the decision's been made? It's the executive producer now? It said that they're in the final negotiations. And, uh, you know, now there are some people pointing to his past because this guy's a— experienced game show executive producer and they were like yeah when you were on the price is right you did some not so great things and oh so we'll see what happens i don't know what a dusty old crotch (laughs) oh i don't know we'll see what happens Uh, let's bring humility back everybody just just in in small doses is fine that's right. And this has been Game Show Soapbox with Chuck and Josh. <laughs> That's right. And speaking of, go listen to our live Game Shows episode, I think from Denver. That was really good. Uh, did we do one on Game Shows? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yes, we did. It's been a while. It was a good one. All right. So where are we? We were at the Larmore Frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the one thing we need to mention, too, you talked earlier about the gradient magnets um, being applied to very specific parts of the body. In the biz, they call those areas slices. So you can just get a, if they, if you hear someone and if you're going to get an MRI and you're nervous and they say get a slice <laughs> of the shoulder, right. they're, you're not getting a slice. The whole point is that of an MRI is that you don't get sliced. Yes. And one of the other advantages is that because you can move these gradient magnets all over the place at all different planes, um, you can get all sorts of different views of the same area, top, bottom, side, underside, all the sides. And that's a huge, huge advantage that MRI offers. Again, without spilling a, a single drop of blood. Yeah, and uh, I guess the final piece of the puzzle here is this is all well and good that this little magic machine works like this, but you still have to be able to have a doctor look at a picture of this stuff. Uh, the imaging part of MRI is uh, just as important of, as the rest because that's what they need to assess your situation. And they do this through the magic of computers and math. And I think that's a, that's that, right? We don't have to go any more into it than that. I mean, you know, I don't fully understand it to you. It, it makes it uh, the image and turns it to a mathematical formula that allows no, the computer. No, there's probably like... 50 people on the planet who fully understand how okay. that happens. All, right, good. All I know is there's a really expensive computer attached, and it's the one that converts all that data into a 2D or 3D image. That's right. And that's all you need to know, really. 
Yeah, um, and then it ends up in the hands of a radiologist who basically says, oh, it's this, oh, it's a donkey, that kind of thing. Uh, or increasingly in the hands of AI, which has gotten really, really good at reading radiological charts, including MRIs, to look for weird anomalies. Because one of the th- great advantages of an MRI is those images it produces um, it, it really can resolve water in the body. And one of the reasons that's important is because when you start to suffer disease, one of the one of the almost universal symptoms of any kind of disease, malady, mm. or disorder in the human body is an increase in the the amount of water. The thing is, is like the MRI is going to show you that, but you or I can't see that. You got to go to school for many, many years and become a radiologist to say, oh, that's that's just a little fluid buildup or, oh, that's a tumor. It's tough to distinguish. It needs a human or, again, an AI to make that distinction. But the MRI is going to give you the picture that will show you that thing that a radiologist could look at and say, that's water, that's a tumor. That's right. Pretty neat stuff. Like we said, all along, the wonder machine. That's right. And that feels like a great time for break number two. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about our fMRI shame that I feel that you're not even aware of. Okay. Josh, right after this. Prepare for our shame. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Chuck, why should we be ashamed? Because I think I I remember things differently than you do. That's what I think it is. So here's the deal with fMRI, uh, functioning MRIs. They track blood flow. And what they've long done in uh, psychiatry and uh, neurology since this has been invented, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, is they will do an fMRI of your brain and they will show you pictures of certain things or have you react to certain stimuli. Uh, it can be an object or a word that they say out loud or whatever. And they see where that blood flow is going in the brain with the idea of like, well, hey, if you're getting that fresh blood right here in this part of the brain, that means that that's the part of your brain that is reacting to the stimulus. Mm-hmm. And the more I read about it, the more it seemed like that's a pretty good guess. And we don't really know what's going on with the neurons. This is just seeing what's lighting up. And I think where I feel bad is many, many times over the years, we've said, you know, and then they showed them a picture of this and bada bing, bada boom, this part starts lighting up. So case closed. And mm-hmm. it's not as like kind of bulletproof as that. See, this is where I remember differently. We've trashed that idea multiple times over the Did years. Did we? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Totally. I remember specifically talking about one study where a guy put like a dead salmon in an MRI and then wrote a paper about what it must have been experiencing because some voxel showed lit up. Really? Yeah. So we made good as we went along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. Totally. We sniffed that stuff out. We've been sniffing that stuff off the case since 08. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't feel bad anymore. No, though. don't, don't. We definitely trashed that over the years. And and it's it was worth being trashed in that— Somebody figured out, like, you can use this to a certain degree, Mm -hmm. and yes, you can see, oh, this region's lighting up, but what they quickly found is that a region of the brain has hundreds or thousands or countless numbers of neurons involved in that area, and they're not all just doing the same thing. They're all performing different functions, they're all connected in different ways, and until we can get our resolution down on basically the individual neural level uh-huh. the point there's zero point almost in putting someone in an fmri um and and showing them pictures of of whatever and, and seeing how they're stimulated because it's all just guesswork somebody compared it to phrenology modern phrenology you're just extrapolating huge things from very limited findings and so we've figured that out very early on like that's been a long-standing criticism and we we definitely dialed into that i feel better than ever then about our efforts i'm i'm so glad man thank you for correcting that although one good thing about fmri is is that angiography where you can track blood flow outside of the brain mm-hmm. and extrapolate it beyond you know social psychology studies right. <laughs> yeah if if a social psychology study could even get enough funding to pay for an MRI <laughs> rental. We we had some social psychologists and, and husbands and wives of social psychologists that write in and they were kind of mad at right. us at you. <laughs> I think they're mad again. Uh you know who you should not be mad at are the inventors of the MRI because these things are really pretty safe. Um you are not being exposed to radiation. And that's a great thing. You, uh, there have been not many incidences of mishaps with an MRI machine. Uh, one of the dangers of an MRI is obviously, you know, the, the, the super magnet is going to be metal. Uh, if you've ever yeah. had one, they're going to ask you and ask you several more times. If you have any metal on your body, you're not going to go in there with your earrings. You're not going to go in there with uh, even uh, certain kinds of makeup has metal in it. Uh, If you have a pacemaker or aneurysm clips in your brain, or Mm -hmm. if you're like me, dental implants, you're going to want to talk to them about that. And uh, because some of that stuff is still okay, It's not like it will rip a pacemaker out of your chest because they're smarter than that now. But Mm -hmm. if you have an old pacemaker, that might be a problem, right? Yeah, and even a new pacemaker can malfunction in the presence of a really strong magnetic field. It won't be ripped from your chest, but it's it might stop working. And, and That's not good. You know, you don't want that to happen. But there are, like, th- like if you have, like, metal anywhere on you, it, it will be pulled out of your pocket. Your pocket might be pulled right off of your pants, basically, um, depending on whether it's one of those externally sewed pockets mm. or an internal well, you're pocket. You probably going to have a gown on anyway. Sure, but you could just be some schmo who likes to stand around MRI sure. rooms and gain the entry. <laughs> One of the big problems is the actual medical equipment yes. themselves. There's medical equipment that is that is that has been developed to be used in an MRI room. And then there's medical equipment that accidentally finds its way into an MRI room and ends up getting sucked violently into the bore. 
And that is really dangerous. There's there's actually some astounding pictures on the internet if you search MRI catastrophe of there's there's one and I can't tell if it's real or not. There's a wheelchair that's sucked into the bore with feet sticking out from <laughs> under it. I didn't see a corroborating story, but people have died from being hit by objects or pinned to the bore between a metal object and the bore. Um, and it's very, very rare. It's very infrequent because people running MRIs tend to know what to look for and what questions to ask and what to look out for. But it has happened. And when it happens, it's got to be one of the most violent things you could ever witness. Yeah, about 20 years ago, there was a, a boy who was killed when an oxygen tank was pulled into the bore. But like you said, that's that's the kind of thing that makes the news the world over because it's so rare. Uh, I think every year there are millions and millions of MRI scans in the United States alone, and the FDA gets about 300 adverse event reports annually. And most of these are like, my skin burned some because it got really hot. Because um, I don't think we mentioned, like, the MRIs I've had have been very brief, just a few minutes. Um, mm -hmm. You can be in there for like an hour or an hour and a half, and you have to lay completely still. And this, the sound that they make is just—it's uh, unnerving. It's this—it's like this digital clanging, and there are klaxons and buzzers, and it's just not. I remember I talked about it years ago on the show when I had my first one. Um, it's, it's not a relaxing scene at all. It's a little unnerving, even though you know it's safe just because of the noise. So, um, but, it, but it's, it is safe. Like, accidents usually don't happen. Yeah, that noise. I forgot you had one before. I've had a couple now. Um, from what I understand, that noise is relative to the, the uh, Teslas that the maid magnet puts out. Because when you put the... Um, uh, I guess maybe the gradient magnets in there, they they respond to that made magnet, and that's what produces that hammering or clacking sound or whatever. And it can, it can get really loud and give you tinnitus or hearing loss, even if they don't give you, um, you know, earmuffs. Have you still never had one? No. Let me just knock on wood there. How did yours turn out? Pretty great? Yeah, I can't even remember what the first one was for, to be honest. It was so many years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh. And then I had one more recently uh, for my for my gut. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah for my GI. They were looking at my GI uh, flow, not flow. Blow they were for stuff. Your colon blow. <laughs> they were looking for diverticula, okay. specifically, and uh, so I was in an MRI machine, and that didn't take very long. And I think they used dye for that one. That's another thing that we didn't mention is. I don't think they always use dye as a contrast, but sometimes they do. Yeah, about a third of them they use dye. And the dye seems to be, from what I can tell, the 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 only truly questionable part about the MRI experience. Because when you come out of that magnetic field, your atoms all go back to normal the way they were. And, you know, there's no long-term effects. But apparently the, the dye they use is um, made of uh, gadolinium, gadolinium. Mm -hmm which is a, a metallic element. And they collate it so that your body doesn't like, it doesn't stick around your body. You actually pee it out. It gets processed through your kidneys. In very rare instances, some people hang on to it and it can cause a little bit of kidney damage. But far and away, almost everybody passes it. It seems to be the question is, 
using dye when you give an MRI to a woman who's pregnant because the the woman will pee it out, but the little baby in uterus or in utero um, recycles the stuff that comes in there. So it will just be ingesting and peeing and ingesting and peeing that gadolinium until it's born. Um, and then that's not really good for the old kidneys. So apparently, um, they, the FDA recommends that you err on the side of the mother's health. Like, like it's a, if it's a, um, like a medical emergency in the, that the, that requires an MRI for the mom, including dye, that the FDA and apparently the AMA would say, just go ahead and do it, uh, and roll the dice. But if it's not a medical emergency and the woman has to get an MRI, they would probably avoid using the dye. In the yeah, the dye was... Yeah, the dye was um, – that was c- kind of one of the more interesting parts because you can feel it wow. cold running through your body. Wow. Which is really interesting. And I got a uh, a taste in my mouth, like this kind of funky taste. Wow, that's really amazing. Yeah, which is always a little weird. Um, you mentioned pregnant women, though, but uh, kids is another thing. Uh, MRIs, I think 90% of MRIs go to fully grown adults Mm -hmm. and kids present a problem because kids are fidgety, obviously, Mm -hmm. and they're hard to keep still. And you got to start over if you want to get a good picture. So it's, it's kind of been tough. And a lot of times they have to, um, anesthetize a child Mm -hmm. to put them in an MRI machine, which you know, anytime you're going under anesthesia, there's a risk there, and people don't like doing that in general if you don't have to. So there are some really smart people working on that. I think uh, a few years ago, uh, there was an article about a, a Stanford pediatric radiologist uh, named Shreyas Vasana, Vasanawala, and uh, he was working on basically kind of making tailor-made MRI machines for kids that are smaller and a little more open and don't have these huge bulky coils uh, for their little bodies. That's amazing. What a great thing to do with your time, you know? Agreed. I mean, or you could just get on a podcast and run your mouth. (laughs) I I think that's a less good thing to do with your time, but regardless. I think the MRI machine is still maybe even more than ever the wonder machine, Chuck. I agree. And it's cool to know how it works. And, uh, you know, if you heard this and go in to get an MRI, it might arm you with a little knowledge. You can go in there and talk about, uh, what's the, what was that number again? The frequency? 42.58 megahertz <laughs> per Tesla Yeah, of magnetic field applied. Just go in there and start throwing that around while you have your smartphone in your pocket. <laughs> That's right. Hopefully, at the very least, pants. if you're about to get an MRI, this may do you a little less nervous about it. Agreed. Uh, well, if uh, you want to know more about MRIs, just do a little research or maybe go get one done. Go hit up your doctor and say, how about an MRI? Let's check it out. And they'll say, okay, hop in. I could use the money. Uh, and since I said I could use the money, obviously it's time for listener mail. That's right. Uh, before I read this one, I do want to shout out, uh, we got quite a few emails on people who have the weird compulsion to equal out the crack stepping with yeah, your feet like I, I do. I noticed that too. I was kind of surprised at how many people had that same thing going on. And uh, the people, I think I read one of them uh, that said he also liked to chew an equal on both sides of his mouth. Quite a few people also had that, which I don't have. But it's nice to know that us crack steppers are, uh, I don't know, I feel united. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole cadre of you guys out there, it turns out. Yeah, and we're going to take over the world one day. I know. 
Uh, but I'm going to call this one from Rodney about reverse od- osmosis. Hey guys, you get a, did a really nice job on reverse osmosis. Uh, it can indeed solve the drinking water problem worldwide, as well as help solve some of the environmental problems in our industrial processes. You should also do a program on electrolytics. Uh, this technology can take salt and convert it to disinfectants that are used to treat water and kill microorganisms that make people sick. 9,000 people die every day from waterborne disease worldwide. Uh, and this uh, this guy, Rodney, has a couple of companies that deal with this. So offered us up some uh, technical assistance if we wanted to do something on that. Nice. Very nice. Thanks a lot, Rodney. Appreciate that um, offer. And congratulations to you for saving the world. Agreed. Um, if you want to get in touch with us like Rodney did because you're saving the world or because you um, just want to say hi, doesn't matter. We, we're, we're fine either way. You can get in touch with us by sending an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.